The Forum on Workplace Inclusion's 2021 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash more of this. We're excited to announce two employment opportunities at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. The Forum is looking for an experienced sales representative and a registrar slash administrative coordinator to join our team. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash employment for more information and to apply today. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash employment. Pre-registration to the Forum's 34th Annual Conference, Solving for X, Tackling Inequities in a World of Unknowns, is now open. Use funds from 2021 before they're gone and pre-register today. More information at forumworkplaceinclusion.org. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org. Interested in sponsoring the Forum? Custom sponsorship packages are available. Contact our sponsor relations consultant, Michael Graves, for more information. You can find his contact information at forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash sponsorship. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash sponsorship. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast series brought to you by Best Buy. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager here at the Forum. We're really looking forward to today's podcast, Do's and Don'ts of Measuring Inclusion, with Lisa Russell and Rashia Malek of Valeria. As organizations plan their 2022 diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies, it's a good time to reflect on what works, what doesn't, and consider how we can really move the needle next year. In this episode, Lisa and Rashia, co-founders of HR Tech Company, Alaria, share what they have learned through their work measuring inclusion. They highlight the key things to avoid, including focusing on the wrong metrics, the wrong ways of driving participation, and why it shouldn't be looked at as just an HR activity. They also share a few tips for measuring inclusion, including prioritizing organization-wide alignment, inclusive data collection practices, and the importance of closing the loop. Through this podcast, listeners will understand how to build a successful DEI strategies and understand the value of measuring inclusion. Lisa Russell passionately tackles real-world problems with innovative and impactful solutions. After several years in the financial services industry, Lisa gained extensive ex- entrepreneurial experience holding key positions on the founding teams of funded and acqu- acquired technology startups. Over the years, she has been recognized for her commitment to community and the impact of her efforts focused on mentorship, education, and creating opportunities for women. Currently, she leverages her passions and expertise to help take the guesswork out of diversity and inclusion as co-founder of Valeria and ARC. With a background in economic development, public policy, and nonprofit management, Rashia Malik has been dedicated to growing meaningful social impact organizations that make a sustainable positive difference in the world. She has worked in both the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, concentrating specifically on companies that embrace the model of social enterprise and prioritize people-led movements. Currently, she is focusing her efforts on building more inclusive workplaces as co-founder of Valeria. 
where she heads up client success and operations. She also writes Alaria's weekly DEI newsletter covering the latest in research, case studies, resources, and more in the industry. Hello, um, my name is Arshia Malik. I'm joined here by Lisa Russell. We are co-founders of Alaria. Um, at Alaria, we measure inclusion and pinpoint where business leaders can focus to drive real impact, measurable impact in their organizations. Today, we're really excited to be here and highlight some of what we've seen this year in our work um, in how we're measuring inclusion and, and provide clear, actionable ways for you to really ensure that your diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives are meaningful and impactful at your workplace, too. Um, but before we get started, uh, we're, you know, we're going to be talking about the do's and don'ts. I think it's probably helpful to actually explain a little bit more about what we do and what we mean when we say we're measuring inclusion. Right, Lisa? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great place to start. Uh, so yeah, at Alaria, we specifically measure inclusion and we do that by capturing specific moments that have made folks feel excluded. We call them experiences of exclusion. And over the last four years, we've had the opportunity working with um, several clients that range across the globe to capture thousands of specific moments of exclusion from employees. And so those are specific moments that have made employees of organizations feel excluded. And in that process, uh, they not only share those specific moments, but they also organize them in our framework, which we're calling the categories of inclusion. This is important just because it's how we refer to what we're seeing in the industry uh, and how we guide the recommendations that we provide the folks that we're working with. And so the categories of inclusion are nine specific categories. They're types of experiences, buckets of um, types of experiences, if, if you will, uh, that are allowing us to focus resources. So they're things like work-life balance is a category or skills use and assignments or respect. And these are types of experiences and ways to categorize or think about how we can drive greater inclusion in organizations. So we have the categories of inclusion as a framework of which we're looking at where are we seeing the most experiences of exclusion across the organization? And where are we seeing the greatest opportunities to drive impact in organizations? And so as we're looking at our data, the, you know, the data for specific organizations, we're flagging those opportunities. But today, as we're looking at the collective data, so all of these thousands of experiences that we've been able to capture from organizations, you know, from small organizations to large organizations across different industries, uh, we're excited to share what we're seeing with you. And also the recommendations you know, that we're making based on that data. And so um, the data that we've collected has provided some really interesting insights. We you know, could talk about it for years. We're, we're excited to share resources and we'll be happy to do so after that. But today I think that's uh, a good enough context to get us started. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, what's really cool about this framework is we can really make inclusion tangible in a lot of interesting ways. And so, um, as you all are likely reflecting in your initiatives from this past year, and you know it's certainly been a year between a pandemic and and things um, like uh, just greater employee activism and, and demands to have um, an inclusive environment, it's clear that leaders and organizations really have to make an impact here and really um, focus resources and and commit to it in a real way. 
So it's a good time to think about um, how to focus next year, what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, and what your employees really need. And so we want to help you figure that out um, and to drive the change that you really want to see next year. So with that, we're going to highlight a few do's and don'ts, as we mentioned earlier, for measuring inclusion. Um, we'll start with the don'ts, um, start talking about some of the mistakes that folks are making, things to avoid. Um, and a lot of these, you know, you may not even have thought of. So we're excited to share some of these with you. I think we should probably just start with the top and, and talk about the metrics themselves, right? Um, when we're looking at inclusion and diversity. Lisa, why don't you get us started? Yeah, so as uh, the first recommendation, we're gonna start with uh, the don'ts, the things not to do or the things to avoid as you're planning your uh, strategies for DEI for the year ahead. The first don't that I'm gonna give you uh, to Arshia's point is around metrics. It's don't limit your impact by focusing on the wrong metrics of success. You know, I want you to think about it. Are you focused on the wrong piece of the puzzle? You know, are the metrics of success that you're using telling you where and how you can actually move the needle? What we find in this work is that most organizations aren't measuring inclusion. They're looking at representation metrics only, or maybe they're doing uh, engagement surveys or satisfaction surveys, right? And both of these are helpful and it's information that you need as you begin to uh, embark upon this work. Uh, but I want you to think about whether or not that data or that um, information that you're collecting is really providing you the insight you need to focus your resources impactfully. And is it able to help you understand where you're making a difference and where you should focus your resources? You know, um, as an example, when we're looking at engagement surveys, you know, oftentimes those questions are formatted so that they're asking folks to uh, rate things on a scale of one to five, right, for various prompts. So, you know, how satisfied are you in your work? Or, you know, do you feel um, as if your manager provides you the support you need to do your job successfully, you know, rate one to five, um, one end being, you know, uh, a low agreement score and five and five being the high agreement score, or what have you. But the reality is the takeaway from that, you know, when you combine all of those answers and average everything out, you know, maybe you get a score of 3.2, but what is that 3.2 telling you? And what does it mean even if you move the 3.2 to a 3.7, right? What have you accomplished? Where have you made an impact? What actually worked and what didn't? You have no insight into that. So while it's a, a helpful gauge um, and a way to report things, it's not always the most impactful way or the best metric of success uh, in this work. And so, you know, today I would just encourage you to look beyond satisfaction and beyond representation metrics and really try to understand the day-to-day -day experiences of your employees. Uh, so just, you know, real quickly, the, the don't, as, as a reminder, there, there is um, don't limit your impact by focusing on the wrong metrics of success. Arshia, how about you cover the next one? Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, this one really brings us to our second don't. If we want to understand the day-to-day -day experiences of employees, we have to get them to participate. And that can be kind of tough um, these days. Folks are tired of filling out surveys like the one, um, like with questions that Lisa just described, right? Those satisfaction questions and employee engagement surveys, they can be helpful, but there are so many of them and people are just used to filling these things out and, and wondering if it's going to make a difference. Um, and so if you wanna get that deeper detail and that insight, you need to bring the employees on board and have them really participate in a meaningful way. 
However, the don't here is you don't want to force them to participate. You want to get them excited. Um, research has shown that by forcing folks into certain types of trainings, such as unconscious bias trainings, um, can actually tend to have a negative impact and negative consequences, whether you intended for those or not, of course. Um, you, we see things like people getting defensive, um, uh, certain barriers and divisions getting exacerbated, right? Because people are coming into something where they feel like they're being lectured into something, right? So instead, we want to have employees, the folks in your organization, get really excited about the work, about measuring inclusion, focusing on inclusion, and sharing what their day-to-day -day experiences are. Um, and so with that, how do you do that, right? How do you um, not make it mandatory, but actually drive a lot of participation? Because we definitely want everyone there. As many people as can attend gives you more in insight and data. And so with that, um, communication is really key. It's responsibility of you all, whether you're a DEI practitioner, you're an HR leader, you're on the committee internally working to, to launch this project and lead this project. Um, you, It's on you to figure out how to communicate, how to get people excited and how to get people there to opt into this. Um, and so in our work, um, you know, my role really has a lot to do with supporting our clients and, and heading up our client success um, function. And so with that, Often, a lot of my work with our clients in the early stages is figuring out what the context is of an organization, understanding what sorts of surveys they've done before, how can we better communicate this initiative, um, and how we can get them excited about this new um, project, this new way of communicating their experiences. And so, um, you know, think about how you're sending out your emails, think about how you're getting people involved, who is talking about it, have managers share why they're excited about it, um, and have folks understand that this actually is going to be something different. This is um, something that's tied to the larger organization's goals for driving um, greater inclusion in the organization. And so again, don't force people to participate. It's so um, tempting. Uh, but if you're not getting the participation you want, look at what you're doing, look at your com communications, get feedback and adjust. Um, it's much better to have them opt in and get excited rather than feel like they're being dragged into yet another training um, where they can kind of check out, look at their phones, things like that. Yeah, um, I think that the, the third don't actually plays well with that, meaning that in order to get that engagement that you're seeing or that you want, um, a big thing that you could do is move this outside of HR, meaning don't look at this work as just an HR activity. So that would be my third don't uh, recommendation is don't look at this work uh, as an HR activity. All too often, you know, we find that DEI is made someone's specific responsibility within the organization, or maybe in a lot of smaller organizations, or if you're just getting started with DEI work in your organization, you've put together a, a committee of folks across the organization, and they're doing this on top of their typical job. And they're responsible for moving this work forward in the organization. But the work is then left up to them, whether it's an individual or whether it's a committee. Right. And, and so the, the progress, the conversations are kind of happening within that bubble. Um, but that's not really enough. You know, we want to truly move the needle as it relates to this work. And in order to do that, 
we need it to not be seen as an HR activity. It needs to be a strategic lens in which we can apply across all departments and, and leverage in all key decisions. And so in order to get folks engaged, they really need to see it in that way. They need to see it in action as a strategic lens, as a, um, an instrument that is used to empower everyone across the organization. So uh, successful DEI strategies and initiatives start from the top for sure. And we'll get into this more, uh, but you want executives and managers to be champions of the work. Uh, and so not only is it, is it needing to step outside of HR and is it needing to not be held just within a committee, we need to get leadership's engagement and involvement. And so, you know, uh, another thing that we can kind of point to in our work is that a big part of our inclusion assessments is that we sit down with the leadership teams uh, and organizations define leadership in, in different ways and you may as well, uh, but whoever you're seeing as, as being in leadership, you know, oftentimes it's so powerful to get them involved in the conversation, to provide them the resources they need to feel confident in these conversations, to kind of create champions in them so that they can go out and not only impress upon everyone else in the organization how key and important this work is, but they can actually lead by example. And so, um, you know, we, we often work with organizations to ensure that that's possible. But I would encourage you to also do the same. Do what you can to uh, engage your leadership teams and to get them involved in not only the decisions and the initiatives and the um, training programs that you may be uh, leveraging, but also get them to impress upon everyone else in the organization why they're participating and what they're learning along the way so that it becomes a much more genuine and natural thing um, that they expect to hear and, and um, talk about across the organization. Yeah, absolutely. It, it helps so much with making sure that um, everyone's in, involved and folks show up. Um, okay, so to recap on the no-nos so far, um, as you're developing your diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies for 2022 and beyond, um, don't limit your impact by focusing on the wrong metrics of success. Don't make participation mandatory, but rather excite folks about it. Um, and don't approach this work as solely an HR activity. So again, those are the don'ts. Um, let's switch over to the do's. Let's switch over to what you can do um, to really make this work meaningful and impactful um, and set yourself up for success. Lisa, let's get us started. And I think we can really, um, it really ties into what we've just been talking about in terms of um, who's involved and how we get people on the same page. Absolutely. So the first do that we'll uh, recommend is uh, prioritizing organization-wide alignment. This is so important and to Arshia's point, plays well with the don't in terms of don't approach this work as just an HR activity. Uh, this work, you know, in order to be successful and in order to uh, truly succeed in, in gaining organization-wide alignment really comes down to two things. The first one we were talking about earlier and that's leadership involvement. You know, uh, we don't want DEI to be only an HR activity as we mentioned. Um, and we don't want it to be just discussed within committees or within subgroups of the organization. Leadership teams hold such a big role in this work and you know, they're decision makers across the organization uh, and they're often setting the tone across the organization. So ideally we want them to be champions of the work and to lead by example each day, just as we were saying before. Now, beyond engaging leadership, the thing that's really important is that it doesn't skew the opposite direction. We do not want to see leadership teams uh, or HR teams or committees making decisions um, in a bubble on how to go about this work. 
you know, it creates uh, misalignments and, you know, it doesn't set expectations appropriately. You know, leadership and HR teams often have their own ideas of like what's needed to really move the needle when it relates to DEI. Where should we focus? Uh, but the reality is that oftentimes their focus areas, the things that come to mind for them, are related on, uh, related to, or, or based on their own view and their own experiences within the organization. And that's a very limited view. You know, the reality is that it could potentially skew uh, towards you know certain groups. And so, you know, oftentimes in, in our workshops and our training, one of the things that we say is inclusion is invisible, particularly to those who enjoy it the most. So I'm just going to say that again. Inclusion is invisible, particularly to those who enjoy it the most. So if you are a white, cisgender, heterosexual executive who doesn't identify as having a disability, it's very likely that you are not aware of certain types of experiences that are causing folks across your organization to feel excluded. And so in order to truly drive inclusion, we need to be listening. We need to be listening to employees across the organization and really gaining a deeper understanding of what it's like for them on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, what are the experiences that they're having? What are the hurdles that they're facing? What are the challenges or roadblocks that they see in their career within this organization? that's really going to open um, our eyes to new opportunities to increase the sense of inclusion in organizations. And with that insight, we can then set clear, well-defined goals. We can create that organization-wide alignment that we're talking about, and we can work together to achieve it, which is really the goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, everyone needs to be involved in this work. I think Lisa and I are kind of harping on that for a bit, but it's so, so important. Um, so shifting gears just a little bit. Um, so we are focusing on employee experience, right? Understanding those day-to-day -day experiences, but it is still important to understand people's identities as well. We wanna know, you know, are certain types of folks having a different experience? Um, and, and that'll kind of give us clarity or rather at least a pointer that, hey, maybe there's bias um, unconscious or not related to certain demographics and identities and, and certain people are experiencing different things. And so in addition to the types of questions that don't get us the data that we can act on, such as the high level satisfaction questions, there's another component of the wrong types of questions or, or, or mistakes when we're asking questions when it comes to identity and demographic data. It's very easy um, and often unintentional to, to do it in a way that actually excludes folks. Um, and so in our work, we actually collect uh, this type of data, we call it identity data often, um, in a little bit of a different way. It's anonymous, totally confidential, um, but we want this data, again, not mandatory, but we really want this. And we've learned a few things about how to do this right. Um, there's always more to learn, but uh, excited to share just a few of these tips that you can probably start implementing immediately if you collect this data. And a lot of it has to do with language. So um, when I said earlier that we collect identity data, we're really careful about using that word throughout um, this process. So we ask people about their gender identity. We ask them if they identify as having a disability or as a disabled individual. Um, and so that really has a lot to do with kind of emphasizing that we wanna know how they identify, what words they would use. Um, and it just creates a really inclusive space and inclusive experience as they go through some of these demographic identity surveys um, that often have options and, and phrasing that can feel like it doesn't apply to them. 
And so this really small switch from asking people how they identify can be really important. Um, some of the ways that we've shifted it have actually even come from requests from our clients or feedback from folks, and it uh, has only made us better. So I wanted to share that one. Separately, um, a really great one that we actually received as a tip uh, from an event that we did a little while ago was um, removing the word other. So we want to know, of course, if people don't fall into the drop downs that we already have around race, ethnicity or gender identity or, or what have you. But the word other, if you really think about it, just kind of perpetuates and emphasizes the othering of some someone that does not fall into what is seen as, you know, quote unquote, normal or the typical options. Um, and that in and of itself is exclusionary. It's not inclusive. And so we have switched all of our uses of the word other in these situations to prefer to self-describe or these options don't um, apply to me. I've seen that from some other folks as well. And that when, when folks click on that, they can type, right? They can then tell you what they do identify as, what the right wording would be. And that information is actually really helpful as you continue to iterate and, and support um, more and more folks and you improve this experience for folks. If you get a lot of answers that have a, an option or a, a title that you didn't already include, maybe that's a pointer that you should be including them and you should kind of look at that data and look to understand that. So again, getting that data is important, um, but consider switching to having them self-describe rather than using the word other, a really small thing that can make a big difference. Uh, separately, um, sex and gender, it is no longer, um, and well, it should never have been, but um, I think society has moved forward enough and progressed enough to understand that sex and gender are not the same thing. People identify as certain genders, their gender identity, and we wanna make sure that we ask them that rather than what is their sex. Sex refers to um, how, what, what you are when you're born, right? Rather than the gender that you identify with. And so really be careful of confusing those, um, ask the right question there. The way we do it is we just don't even add the word sex. We just say, you know, what is your gender identity? On that same note, um, don't include trans or transgender or transgender woman or transgender man in your gender options. That is not a gender. Um, a transgender man is a man and a transgender woman is a woman. If you want to get clarity on if someone identifies as trans, that certainly can be helpful um, and certainly could give you insight onto their experience. Have that be a separate option. Um, have them say yes or no um, or prefer not to say uh, when it comes to them identifying as trans, right? Do not include that in the gender piece. Um, and I just said something, I said, prefer not to say, always give folks an out. You don't wanna force them to answer some of these questions if they don't feel comfortable, they don't wanna be outed. There's a number of reasons where folks might not wanna share their information. Again, you wanna create a sense of safety and comfort in this experience as much as possible, um, but you, you really shouldn't force folks to answer some of these questions if they would prefer not to. Lastly, I wanna talk about feedback. Um, like I said just now, some of these tips that we have, we really got from other folks as well. And so you wanna to continue to get feedback from the community that you're um, assessing or getting this information from in order to understand if your options, the survey, um, whatever this looks like, 
makes people feel represented, right? You really can't go wrong by doing regular checks to see if there are things you can be doing better. Folks will see that you want to care, that you want to ensure they're included and considered, um, and it really will be so helpful to you as you continue to improve this process and, and get the data that will help you make real changes as well. You want to understand how folks are identifying and what groups you may not be aware of that actually exist within your community or organization. We even did this globally. It can be super tricky when we're dealing with different cultures and, and how they identify um, super interesting stuff. And we're still learning as well and, and, and through our work. And so again, um, really be careful about how you're collecting data. It's very much possible to do it in an inclusive way in these small ways that we just discussed. Yeah, collecting data in an inclusive way. That was so much information. And I hope that you all are able to kind of, you know, pick it apart and see which pieces are, are going to be helpful to you. Uh, but it is something that we're actively always working on. Um, you know, are there better ways, uh, better practices, better uh, language that we can leverage to make it even more inclusive? And one thing that you mentioned, Darcy, I think really uh, ties in well to our final do, um, our final recommendation here. Uh, and that was around, you know, getting feedback on this work, you know, uh, understanding, you know, do folks feel like the way that we're capturing data uh, is representing their identity? Do they feel included in the process? And so our final uh, recommendation is close the loop. And closing the loop uh, to us means a lot of things, but um, it's really about that engagement and that feedback and, and open communication and a sense of transparency. So when we come into organizations and condu conduct like our initial inclusion assessments, you know, one of the most common questions we'll get from employees who are engaging in our um, our, our workshops and, and providing us data is this, they're saying, hey, so what happens next? You know, will the findings, these insights that you're referring to, will, will they be shared with us or, or just leadership, right? And we hear that time and time again. Uh, and that is because so often as leadership teams, we request or require even folks to participate in these types of surveys and trainings and exercises, but we never report back to say, hey, like, thank you for participating. And, you know, here's what we learned and here's how we're going to improve the situation together. So I really want you all to, to take a moment and think about the things that the initiatives that you're deploying across your organization that have good intentions but maybe aren't um, communicating the right message because you're not following through. You're not closing that loop. You're not allowing people to understand why they participated and how it's going to improve the organization as, the, as a whole. So, um, you know, if you want everyone in the organization to really be working with you to move the needle, which, you know, in my mind is the goal, you know, we're able to achieve so much more if we're working on this together. Um, you have to try, you have to prioritize that transparency. You know, you have to communicate along the way. And so, you know, if if I were putting together a plan, and you know, we were um, we put together a 2022 strategy for DEI, the thing I would prioritize is exactly that transparency. And I would put together a plan. You know, how can we communicate? You know, hey, you all, here's why we're going to be doing this. Here's why it's important. You know, here are the areas that we're going to try to improve. And this is what we're going to try. We don't know if it's going to work, but we're going to let you know if it's not successful. And then, you know, once you've 
attempted to, you know, move the needle with that initiative, or you've, you know, had that training, or you've adjusted these policies and practices, come back and measure whether it was successful, and then let people know, you know, hey, folks, like, we tried this, our goal was X, um, our metric of success, the way that we were looking at and what we were trying to achieve is Y, and, you know, we missed the mark, or hey, look, we, we did a great job, look at, look at all the progress we've made, now let's move on to the next um, area that's an opportunity for change, right? It is so simple to create that sense of uh, transparency and that sense of inclusion if we're only open to just being human, right? It's like a big part of this is just being open to saying like, I don't know all of the answers um, and we're gonna figure this out together right? Um, that's really going to build a, a greater sense of trust across the organization. Um, and it's going to remind people that, you know, the way that we're going to succeed is, is by, you know, exactly that working together um, to create a better workplace for all and, and show that you are trying, right? And that you're, you're not just doing checkbox exercises or performative work, which we unfortunately see all too often in this industry. So, um, yeah, so closing the loop is, is the final recommendation. Yeah, and I think it makes a lot of sense to end on that one. You know, as Lisa was just talking about, we're all working on this together. One of the great things, among the many great things about inclusion um, is that every single person can make an impact. It's not just at the organizational level, it's at every individual um, level as well. And so when you're having these kinds of conversations, you have this transparency, it's an ongoing dialogue, um, you're only creating a more inclusive workspace by having folks also just feel like, hey, I'm part of this. I'm going to do these small things tomorrow to make people feel included. We ask folks this all the time at the end of um, our sessions with them. Like, hey, like, how do you see yourself um, being more inclusive tomorrow? And it's small things. It's small things all the time. Um, like saying hey to folks that they don't typically talk to or reaching out uh, to someone that's not on your team and thanking them for the work they're doing. And it's just super small things that can make a big difference. And so having folks talk about it, being transparent, um, engaging everyone in this feeling and the sense of working together will only help. Um, so I think that's just a perfect place to end our dues on and really as a summary, again here, um, they go really well together, right? Prioritize organization-wide alignment, um, collect data in an inclusive way, um, and close the loop, be transparent, um, engage everybody. So we went through three don'ts, three do's, um, and a whole bunch of information in between. And we hope that as you all are preparing for your DEI strategies for next year, um, these tips are helpful and you can keep them in mind. Um, if we can help you additionally, or you'd like to chat more about this, or um, wanna dig into some of these issues a little bit more, please reach out to us. You can find us at our website, alaria.tech. Um, and you can contact our team. We also have a ton of really cool resources on there. Um, if you'd like to access them, we have an ebook on measuring inclusion. We write a weekly newsletter. Um, there are deep dives into our data if you wanna dig further um, in some of our categories, things like that. And so we welcome you to access them. They're free and they're there for you. Um, and until then, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, we're excited to have been here and uh, we, hope to, um, we hope this has been helpful. Thank you so much, Lisa and Rashia, for that wonderful podcast. And thank you to our listeners and our sponsor, Best Buy. To learn more, visit Alaria's website, www.alaria.tech. 
New episodes of the Forum podcast are available on the forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.